Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are restarting a series that we were in called The Life of Elijah. We took a four-week pause, a four-week break on it. We joined in with our other campuses and um, did a series called Kingdom Culture, which is, ironically enough, is very fitting because we talked a lot about the cultural items of our day that God's called us to stand for truth in, right? And so that's what Elijah did in his day. And so it's very fitting that that series came in the middle of this series because it was, for us, that's what that looks like in our day and time. We're not necessarily battling prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah, but in our day, there are things that God has called us to stand for truth where the world is capitulating and falling apart in confusion, right? And so it was very fitting that we do that, but we're going to dive right back into the life of Elijah, the prophet. And I want to give you a brief summary, very, very brief as we get right into this. I want to give you some background. The, the God's people in the Old Testament was the nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel, these were God's chosen people. They had fallen away from God and they'd begun worshiping these false idols named Baal and Asherah. And these two quote-unquote gods were supposed to be the gods of fertility, the idols of fertility, that if you worship them, then your land would be fertile, your land would be fruitful, you would be fruitful, you would be blessed. And so even this act of worshiping these idols was really an act of selfishness because they were hoping that these false gods, hoping to get something from a god other than the god to meet their own selfish needs. That's what the people were doing. And God sent a a prophet, a lone prophet by the name of Elijah. And this man came from obscurity. We don't even know exactly where he came from. We know the name of the place, but we're not even sure where it was on the map at that time. And he he comes from nowhere and he confronts the king of Israel, a man by the name of Ahab and his wicked wife, a woman by the name of Jezebel. How many of you know someone, never mind, okay. (laughs) Say focus on this message. And he confronts them and he says to them that there will be no rain. There will be a famine in the land until I say so, until I give the word because of your sin, because you've sinned against God. God will judge this land. God will judge this nation until you repent, until I give the word. And that's exactly what happened. For three and a half years, there was a famine in the land. There was a drought in the land. There was, there was no rain, no dew. It was dry as a bone. And as you can imagine, they worshiped these false gods for fertility. And because their eyes were on that and not God, God dried up the fertility of their land. And he made it a barren land. Until God sends Elijah, Elijah goes through a whole process that we talked about in this series. You can go back and listen to the message. We have it online, the messages, excuse me. But then he shows up one day and he confronts Ahab yet again and he says, call together the false prophets of Asherah and of Baal. 
And 850 false prophets show up at a place called Mount Carmel. And when they showed up, they show up at Mount Carmel, Elijah is there standing by himself. But how many of you know he was not by himself? 850 men and women against one man. And that man was the majority because listen to me, like I've told you before, you plus God is always the majority. And he stood there nose to nose. And this is what he told them to do. Build an altar and put a bull on the altar and cry out to your God. And if he rains down fire from heaven, your God is God. But if my God calls down fire from heaven, then my God is God. And all day those false prophets, 850 of them are dancing around, they're chanting, they're cutting themselves, they're doing everything they can think of to call down fire and nothing happens. And finally it comes time for Elijah to pray. And in an instant he calls down fire from heaven and fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. And in that moment, the nation of Israel turns and repents because they recognize the Lord of God of Israel is God. And there's only one, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he is the Lord. And in that moment, the people turn and they repent and Elijah leads the charge and they, they kill all 850 of those prophets, ridding the land of those, those false idols. What a glorious moment, what a victorious moment. But what happens after that incredible victory? That's where we find ourselves. We've looked at the great accolades of Elijah, but now I wanna look at Elijah, the man himself. The title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. Where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? This is what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. It says this, then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Now, what's interesting here is that Elijah doesn't kill the king. The people who were really leading the charge of this wicked idol worship in the land was Ahab and his wife Jezebel. He doesn't kill them. He did not hold Ahab in high regard at all. He had no respect for Ahab whatsoever. But I believe he had enough honor for the position that Ahab was in that he didn't kill him. And he even tells him, go eat and drink. That was not to bless Ahab. Elijah knew that's all Ahab cared about. All he cared about was his own stomach. He could care less about the people. As a matter of fact, when the famine was going on, the Bible tells us that he was concerned about whether or not his horses were going to have something to eat, not the people he led. That's how selfish this man really was. It was ironic is that Ahab just saw fire come down from heaven and he still did not turn and serve God. A.W. Pink puts it like this. He says, Ahab was convinced but not converted. And there are people like that in our churches every single Sunday. You're convinced that Jesus is Lord. You can't, you can't intellectually argue it because there's enough proof to show, okay, there is a God, there's intelligent design. Jesus actually lived historically, he is real. That cannot be debated factually. 
So I believe that. And I grew up in church, so I'll just keep coming to church because I believe that God is God. I believe Jesus is Lord, but I won't serve him. I'm convinced, but I'm not converted. That's where Ahab found himself. Yeah, I'll believe all day long the Bible is true, but I won't obey it. That's too much to ask for God to actually have my life. That's where Ahab found himself. Verse 42, so Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. I absolutely love, there is so much in that one passage of scripture. I want you to see this. After this incredible victory, let me tell you what what Elijah did not do. He didn't walk off that mountain and go, that's right, I'm the man. You could tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. He didn't do that at all. He didn't start Elijah.com Ministries, Elijah International. He didn't start any of those things. After this great victory, he went right back to the very source of his victory. The very place of his victory, he went right back to prayer. And he did it at the same place that he just defeated the enemy. On Mount Carmel, the Bible says that he bowed low to the ground. Now get this. This is a man who just stood before 850 false prophets. This is a man who just confronted a king. But he bowed his knee to the king of kings. He recognized where his strength came from. He recognized where his victory came from. It was God, the Lord, his God that had been leading him. And that's the God he went and he humbled himself before. And the Bible says he prayed with his face between his knees in a humble position. But I've got a question. Why didn't it start raining immediately? Because all of the conditions were right, right? All of the prophets of Baal were now defeated. They were now gone. The nation had repented and turned. Why didn't the rain begin as soon as the fire fell? Why didn't the rain begin as soon as the false prophets were defeated and killed? Elijah still had to go and pray for it. This is important. I want you to see this. There are things that God wants you to have. There are things that it is God's will for you to have. There are things Jesus died on the cross to provide for you that you cannot have and you cannot access unless you pray the prayer of faith for them. That's the truth. What do you mean by the pray, praying the prayer of faith? I mean praying and believing that it's God's will for you. It was all, again, we've, I won't go back there in Deuteronomy, God already talked about what would happen if the people did not serve him, if they served false gods. He said he would dry up the land. So conversely, it was his will that once they turned and they repented that he would once again do what? Send the rain. But it did not happen unless Elijah prayed for it to happen. There are things in your life that you're expecting to happen, that you're wanting to happen, that you're reading the Bible and how come that's not happening? Let me tell you why they're not happening because you're not asking for them. You're not praying. You're not asking. Pastor, show that to me in the Bible. James chapter four, verse two. This is what it says. You want what you don't have. 
So you scheme and you kill to get it. Now, let me, I read a commentary about this. It may not be that the people were physically killing one another. They were just hating on everybody else. They hated you. What did Jesus say? If you hate your brother, it's the same as killing them. It says you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. See, the reason you don't have it, it's not because God doesn't want you to have it. The reason you don't have it is because you haven't asked for it. When you pray, you humble yourself and you recognize who the source of that thing actually is. When you pray, a number of things are happening. You're recognizing God is your provider. The Lord is your source. But equally, this is what I want you to see. Prayer, God does not want just a transactional relationship with you. You do this, I'll do this. God wants an intimate relationship with you. There's certain things I won't give my kids unless they ask. I can have it in my pocket, and if they ask, here you go. Now, one of my daughters, who will remain nameless, but she's the oldest, she has no problem asking. (laughs) She's got the gift of persistence. But some of us need that same gift to ask and to keep asking, to seek and to to keep seeking, to knock and to keep knocking. Maybe instead of blaming others and fighting for others, and fighting others, maybe you should simply ask. Asking takes humility. Asking takes dependence. Elijah, through God's power, don't miss this, this is so important. God, through God's power and through his leading, He made a nation right. He set things in order in the entirety of a nation, but he still had to claim the spoils of war in prayer. So my question is, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Not how long are you praying, what are you praying for? Are you asking him for what you need? Let me just tell you, I've heard people say this and it is so prideful. And it may be the way that we were taught, but I've heard people say, I just don't like praying for myself. Are you kidding me? What you're saying is, I can believe God to provide other people's needs, but I got this. I'll take care of this myself. God, only you can do what what they need, but I can take care of this myself. Who do you think you are? I ask God for what I need because I know that I need him. I know that I need him. And that causes us to be dependent on him. So what are you asking for? And are you even inviting him into the desires of your heart? Are you asking? Now, there are things again again, that are rightfully yours and this is again where the prayer of faith comes in because if God's word says you can have it, guess what, you can have it. Give me another example of this. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago so that your sins could be forgiven, for the sins of the world to be forgiven. But how many of you know you were not forgiven until you asked for it? That's what I'm talking about. 
So Elijah goes up and he prays, and this is not some cute little simple prayer, God, please bless us with some rain. That's not what the Bible says. This was, a, this was an earnest prayer. How do I know? This is what the Bible says in James, same book, James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. This was not a cute prayer. This was a desperate prayer. Another translation says it like this, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. It avails much, it accomplishes much when you are earnestly, fervently praying and asking God to move on your behalf. Sometimes we pray, God, can you please do this? And we walk away. Our prayers are so ambiguous and so general that if God even answered them, we wouldn't even recognize it. This was a specific, focused, faith-filled prayer. I challenge you to pray these types of prayers. To be specific in your prayer and to be earnest in your prayer. Sure, there are moments when I'm praying, I'm just fellowshipping with God. I'm just listening for his voice. I'm just talking to him about my day. I'm just having conversation with the Lord. But there are moments, and the Bible calls it supplication, there are moments when I am praying and I'm not praying cute prayers. There have been moments I've prayed for family members where I, my heart was so grieved that I'm not praying cute. God, if you don't move, God, they need you. My family needs you. God, please move. If you do not move, her life is over. If you don't move, my family is ruined. And I've seen him show up. And I've seen him move. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous. They're passionate prayers. When you have faith and you have desperation coupled together, you have passion. So passionate prayers. The only way this mountain will move God is if you move it. That's the type of prayer that Elijah prayed. Verse 43. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Can you imagine, Elijah? God's getting ready to move. I've done this. God, please move. Go look for it. Elijah, nothing. Many of us would have quit right there and when I guess it's not God's will. But he pressed in and he kept praying. And this is what it says. Seven times Elijah told him to go and to look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I see a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. He didn't turn it loose. He kept praying. He pursued it. He went after it. He did not quit until he got an answer. Some of you don't need to quit until you get an answer. Whether that answer is yes, no, or not now, I'm not moving until I get an answer. Until you answer me, God. He prayed, listen to this, he prayed and he watched. Listen to me, single people. Pray and watch. 
Some, some of you are doing a whole lot of praying and not keeping your eyes open. Most of y'all are doing a whole lot of looking and not doing any praying. Watch and pray. And all the single people said? All right. How many of you were looking to see who said amen? You're like, Pastor, can we get him to raise their hand a little bit? Left hand in particular. He prayed. (laughs) Meanwhile, back in the spirit. All right. He prayed and he prayed. And he sent his servant back seven times until at the seventh time he saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. This is what I believe this is saying. Elijah prayed until he saw the hand of God move. He prayed until he saw the hand of God move. Now, here's the thing. The rain didn't start, but Elijah stopped praying. The rain hadn't come yet. But Elijah made a bold move of faith based off of that. What am I saying? Sometimes, sometimes, you just need to pray until you see God's hand moving. Even if you don't see the fulfillment of it. God, I see see you beginning to move on my behalf. I trust you. That's all I needed to see. I see you starting to work this out. I'm with you, God. Thank you for it, Lord. I praise you for what you've done. Look out because the rain's coming. That's how Elijah's faith was. That's how it moved. Sometimes in my own life, I don't see the full breakthrough of what I'm I'm praying for. But when I see him starting to move, it gives me faith, it gives me confidence. God, I see you're about to do this. This This is how much faith Elijah had after that. Verse 44, finally the seventh time. Again, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. That's how bold he was. Go tell the king this is what's gonna happen. I saw a cloud, that's all I needed to see. What are you seeing? I wanna tell you what you're seeing. You're seeing a man whose eyes were on God. You're seeing a man who was full of faith. You saw a man, you're seeing a man whose confidence was in the Lord. And some of us are struggling right now because our eyes are on all of the wrong things. Where are your eyes? Where are you looking? What are you paying attention to? Isaiah chapter 26, verse three says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. For some of us, the reason we don't have peace is because we're not looking at the one who gives it. Our souls are in turmoil because we just keep putting our eyes on the problems and the issues and the family members and the lack and the need, and it hasn't happened yet. And God, when are you ever? And our eyes are on the problems instead of on the solution. Where are your eyes at today, church? This man was a supernatural man. And this next verse tells us that. Verse 45, and soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. 
I love this. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariots all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Now think about this for a moment. This is a very small detail, but I don't want you to miss it. If I was the king and this man just came, one, he caused a plague in my nation. I wasn't too happy about that. Excuse me, or a drought. But then he comes, he makes it right. He sends, he prays, God sends the rain. He does these supernatural things. God is moving now on the behalf of our nation. The least that I can do is give the man a ride. Hop into my chariot with me. Let's talk about this last three and a half years. He doesn't because he's selfish. Because the only thing he's thinking about is himself and his needs. And he gets in the chariot and he heads towards Jezreel. Now, truthfully, I don't think Elijah would have even received that quote unquote blessing. I don't think he would have gotten in the the chariot with him at all because he had no respect for the man. But something even better happens. God endows Elijah with supernatural strength and he runs ahead of the chariot. I want you to see this. This is a chariot with horses. It runs fast. This journey, this was not, I'm going around the corner. This was not, I'm running up to, the, to, jo- to Joyce's in St. Martinville. <laughs> this is a, this debate between 15 to 25 miles away. And Elijah runs ahead of the chariot, starting after the chariot, runs ahead of the chariot and gets there before Ahab. God was with this man. What I want you to see, the hand of God was moving in the sky, but the hand of God was also on Elijah. That's what we're seeing. But in this moment, we're going to turn the page because what you're getting ready to see is something that you might not have expected. Because sadly, after some of the greatest moments of victory in our lives, come our greatest failures. It's it's the truth that it's not the hard times that often ruin a man. It's his success. It's the effort it took him to be successful or it's the success itself that ruins a man. We fight so hard. Honestly, when times are hard, we hate hard times. But think about it. What else has made you? It's hard times that's sharpened you, that's shaped you, that's caused you to trust the Lord. It's those hard times that God has refused to refine you, yet we hate them so much. And we look so forward to our times of comfort and times of ease, yet those are the times that we find ourselves getting in trouble. It happened to David. And here in this moment, here's Elijah who just wrought this great victory. And this is what I would expect to happen next. Listen to this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Time out. If you notice, Ahab didn't even mention God's name. He goes home and he completely capitulates to his wife. He cowers in front of her. Baby, what happened? Uh, uh, Elijah uh, killed, killed all your friends. Elijah did this. Elijah did that. Elijah never even once mentioning 
that the rain was coming. Not mentioning how God sent fire from heaven. Not mentioning God, but fearful of this woman. Fearing her response. He gives this cowardly answer and he blames Elijah. Verse two. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. This was a wicked and evil woman. Now threatening the life of the man of God. No gratitude to God for what he just did. No acknowledgement for what God was about to do in sending the rain. Nothing but anger and frustration that, that the fact that her wicked agenda was now inverted, turned over and defeated. And her reaction to this, this great news is I'm gonna kill you, Elijah. How dare you ruin my plan? They've been in drought for three and a half years and all she can see is her wicked plan was ruined. Ahab all the while sits back and passively does. I've said this before in this series, but I'm gonna say it again. Men, hear my heart. You cannot, my wife's a Jezebel. You can't have one without an Ahab. You can't have one. He sat back and he passively watched this happen. Not saying, baby, we were wrong. God is the God of our nation. We're gonna serve him. He didn't do that. He passively went along with it. And what happens next is the main point of my message. This is what I would have potentially expected to happen given Elijah's past, given everything that just happened. This is what I would have expected to happen. Elijah rises up and he confronts Jezebel face to face and God moves on his behalf and and slays Jezebel right there. Might have expected that. Or how about this one? Elijah simply brushes off her her powerless threats and God delivers the nation. That's the way the narrative has been going. That's the way the story has been happening. But that's not what happens. Verse 3. This is so surprising. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Elijah hears this and instead of standing in faith, he flees. This great man who had just called down fire, this great man who literally shut up the rain from coming for three and a half years, this man who confronted 850 prophets and stood nose to nose with the king of a nation, tucked tail and ran at the threat of one woman. Why did he run? I believe a different translation will help us understand this a little bit better. This is what the King James Version says. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. He ran and left his servant there. I'm leaving it all behind. I'm scared to death. I'm panicking. I'm out of here. The Bible says, when he saw See, up until this moment, Elijah, the great prophet, his eyes were on God. 
Up until this moment, he was trusting that God would move on his behalf. It was God who shut up the rain. It was God who gave him the courage and the boldness to stand in front of the prophets. God who gave him the courage and the boldness to stand before the king. It was the word of the Lord that came and called down the fire from heaven. It was God and his eyes were on him. And as long as his eyes were on God, he was fine. But in this instant, his eye turned from God from the hand of God that he saw coming up over the sea to the hand of this wicked woman. And when his eyes turned from God, fear filled his heart. What am I telling you? Where are your eyes? What are you paying attention to? Are you constantly looking at the lack? Are you constantly looking at the problem? Are you constantly looking at the person? Are you constantly looking at the conflict? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes to him. He's the source. Listen, I said this before, but this is how fear works. Hear me. You have to fear something. You are going to fear something. And either you fear the Lord or you have to fear everything else. If you fear everything else, there's no fear of the Lord. Because if you fear God, this is what the Bible says, the the angels of the Lord are encamped around those who do what? Who fear the Lord. You're safe, you're secure when you fear the Lord. God gives you wisdom and knowledge and understanding when? When you fear the Lord. He shows you what to do when you fear the Lord. When your eyes are on him, he provides. When your eyes are on him, he protects. When Elijah heard Jezebel's plans to kill him, he took his eyes off of God and he put him in one of two places. He could have taken a step back and saw, wait a minute, God just delivered me from 850 prophets who hated me. God just provided, brought ravens to feed me and water during a drought. God caused a widow woman to miraculously have all that she needed so that she could provide for me. God did all of those things. Surely he's bigger than this woman's threats. But he didn't because his eyes were either on her hand or listen to this, or his eyes were on his own deficiencies. See, Elijah, a lot of times when we have our great victories, we're tired, let's be honest. We're drained. I fought the good fight, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. Yes, God moved, but I'm tired. That's where Elijah was. And looking at his own deficiencies, he completely ignored God's abilities. God's abilities were there to provide for him, but he couldn't see it. Church, where's your eyes? I'll say this and I'm almost done. What loud noise are you causing to affect your sight? This is what I mean by that. If you heard a loud sound, what happens? You turn and you look in the direction of that loud noise. What happened was he heard the loud noise of Jezebel's threats and turned his eyes away from God onto her hands. But he could have chosen to keep his eyes on God. And next week, we're gonna dive more into how God literally delivered him out of this place of depression. 
how God brought him out of this funk and what you need in your life for God to bring you out of maybe the funk that you're in. We're going to talk about that more next week. But what's my challenge to you today? Remember what he's already done for you. Remember how he delivered you out of death. Remember how he provided for you all those moments before this moment. If he provided for you, then why would he not provide for you now? If he delivered you from that, why would he not deliver you from this? If he moved in that family member that you were praying for, why would he not move in this one? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Ask him for what you need. Make him your source. Believe him for it. Show your dependency. Do not turn it loose until God moves on your behalf. Where are your eyes? Close your eyes. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. God, I was challenged even in preparation of this message to put my eyes on you in some very specific areas of my life. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would bring that conviction or greater into the life of every person here today. Reveal to them through the Holy Spirit the places where their eyes have been on the problem. Or like the Apostle Peter, where their eyes have been on the storm. Or show them and help us fix our eyes on you. Just like the song we sang, I fix my eyes on heaven. Teach us how to do that. Cause us to repent. Come on, right now, if the Holy Spirit has revealed those places to you, I want you to tell them right now, God, I repent. I'm sorry I've put my eyes where I heard the loudest noise. God, I'm sorry I've put my eyes on the approval of man. God, I'm sorry I've put my eyes on what I thought, God, was something only I could fix and only I could deal with. I repent of that and I show my utter dependency on you today. I turn from my wicked way and I repent of it. In Jesus' name, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here this morning, I'm talking about turning your eyes to Jesus. The truth is you know you don't know him and you're far away from him. I'm going to give you an opportunity today to not just turn your eyes but to turn your life to him and to commit to following him Jesus said it this way you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're first born again today I want to give you the opportunity to be born again born of water born of the spirit it's a process that we say every week is as easy as ABC A you admit admit that you're a sinner Just be honest about the sin in your life. Be, believe, believe that the solution to that problem was when Jesus came and laid his life down on the cross for our sin. And see, confess, confess what? That you're gonna follow. That he is worth following. That he is who he said he is. And that he is now Lord of your life. So we know when looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again today. I want to follow Jesus with my life. On the count of three, I'm going to simply ask you to lift up your hand. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And all of us are going to pray it out loud together in support of you. But today is your day to turn not only your eyes, but your life to him and to say, I'm going to follow you. 
So with no one looking around on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Thank you. Hold it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. See your hand. Thank you. See your hand back there. Thank you. See your hand. Praise God. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you, young man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. You can put him down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I'll follow you from this moment on. God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer today. Praise God.